0: Well, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. We will dive back into this series that we began a couple of weeks ago, looking at the armor of God for us as followers of Jesus engaged in a spiritual battle every single day. How do we prepare ourselves to enter in to this battle? I'm so thankful this morning, kids, elementary age, that you are in with us today in this service, and I know you have a bulletin as well, and so I want to encourage you, as Pastor Michael is working through the passage this morning, as some key words come up, uh, to be listening for those, and uh, parents, I just want you to take a deep breath this morning. Grandparents, deep breath. We are thankful that our kids are in here this morning. Say amen. We are thankful that we have the privilege as a church family to serve uh, over 100 kids every single week, and uh, we love to invest in them. And here's the reality, worship is caught more than it is taught, and we want them to see us as we worship, as we sing, as we spend time in God's Word, as we model for them what it looks like to love Jesus with every aspect of our being. And so this morning, as we dive into the text, I just want to leave you with those encouraging words. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 20, as we look this morning at a message entitled The Breastplate of Righteousness, we're going to the second piece of armor that Paul outlines for us here. And as we prepare to do that, there's a word I want you to think about. It's a word that was proclaimed back in the early 1900s about a certain vessel. That word was unsinkable. Some of y'all immediately, your mind is going to the Titanic. You're like, I have heard that before. You know, it's interesting when you look at some of the history of the Titanic and then there was a sister ship called the Olympic that was built at the same time that There was advertisements placed out, and one of the things that they would say about the Titanic and about the Olympic is that it was a ship that was designed in such a way that it was, watch this, virtually unsinkable. In fact, after the aftermath of the Titanic actually sinking, if you didn't know that, I'm sorry to spoil the uh, story, but it sank. You know, it's interesting that the... Ship builders, Harlan and Wolf, they would come out and they would say, you know, the truth is we never claimed that the ship was unsinkable. We said it was virtually unsinkable. But, you know, it didn't really matter because that's what people thought. That's what they believed about the ship. And so there was a deckhand. This quote is famous when someone asked about it after it had hit the iceberg. He said this, God himself could not sink this ship. Well, he met God and he did sink the ship, right? But it's interesting when you think about that for all those, even the passengers that were sailing on it, their mindset was, this ship cannot sink. And what we find out as you study this story is that there were a lot of precautions that were simply cast by the wayside by those who were in charge of navigating the ship. There were things that they just did not do that they were supposed to do, like one, navigating around where the icebergs were. In fact, they thought it didn't really matter. There's no iceberg that could do damage to this ship because it is what, church? Unsinkable. And their carelessness cost over 1,500 lives. And as we think about our lives as followers of Jesus, one of the things that we're going to see this morning is that we must constantly be on guard. In fact, that's what the entire series is about for us as followers of Jesus to ensure that as we engage in the battle spiritually that we find ourselves in day in and day out, that we do not enter into that battle without taking the proper precautions, putting on the full armor of God. And in fact, this morning, as we look at the breastplate of righteousness, we're going to examine this piece of armor that a Roman soldier would have worn. We're going to look at why it was vital for them and why for Paul he is looking and says for us that, that we as followers of Jesus are to put on the breastplate of righteousness, that we are not exposed in this battle in which we find ourselves in. I want to read the text for us beginning in verse 10. Walking through verse 20 of Ephesians chapter 6, this is God's word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all this in Jesus' name, and everyone sin. amen. As we dive in to focus our time and attention on the second part there of verse 14, put on the breastplate of righteousness, I want you to write down this main idea, it'll frame our time together as we began to unpack this piece of armor that Paul outlines for us. It's this truth, righteousness fortifies our lives against Satan's attacks. Righteousness fortifies our lives against Satan's attacks. I want you to hear me very clearly. It does not prevent Satan's attack in our life. We don't have, just because we're followers of Jesus, walking in obedience to Him, we don't get the exempt card from Satan's attacks handed to us. In fact, we do, day in and day out, experience the attacks of the evil one. We talked about that in the very first week. We unpacked that to remind ourselves that we have to take a wartime mentality every single day as we live this life that we are called to to live. But righteousness fortifies our lives against Satan's attacks. As we've done the last week and going in for the next several weeks as we look at each piece of this armor. I want us to walk through the same four questions as we walked through last week when we talked about the belt of truth. So just want you to know if you're new to North River Church and you would like to go back and kind of get caught up, you can do that online. You can do that through Facebook. There's a number of ways you can go back and listen and and just if you need something to put you to sleep at night, just go back and you can listen and that will put you to sleep. But here's what I want us to recognize and and to understand first and foremost this question What was the purpose of the Roman soldier's breastplate? You should have an image that pops up here in just a second. It's the same image that you saw last week. We talked about the belt of truth there that we see. But this week, we're talking about the breastplate of righteousness. So notice that piece of armor that is covering the chest and covering the stomach of the soldiers. And kids, I would just simply encourage you, if you want to bypass some of the time, to draw this picture So just kind of take a mental image of this soldier. It's a Roman soldier, the reproduction of the armor that they would have worn, and you can draw this picture during our time together this morning. But the focus was this piece of armor that served as the breastplate. If you notice there, it was a piece of armor that very early on for Roman soldiers would have been solid pieces of metal that would have been layered together, as you see there. Later on, they realized that this was very restrictive as they were in battle. It's hard to move around because of the weight of it, but also because of the way in which it was designed. And so there was something called chainmail that was put together later as pieces of metal that were chained together. And so you may have seen pictures of that. That came a little bit later for the Roman soldiers. But here's the thing. It functioned in one capacity. There was one important reason that they would have worn this piece of armor, and it was to protect their vital organs. So just think about what this armor is covering, this piece. And so as these soldiers are entering into battle, much of the battle that they would have endured would have been hand-to-hand combat, swords, daggers, But then there were also archers as well that would be shooting arrows too. And so one of the things that they had to do was to ensure that their heart, their lungs, their intestines, the vital organs in this area were covered. Because one of the quickest ways that you get taken out in battle is a sword through the heart, just in case you were wondering. It's an easy way to no longer be engaged in the battle. And so these soldiers would have worn this piece of armor for that specific purpose. Just to make a connection for us as we think about where we are today, it would have been very similar to what a police officer wears today in a bulletproof vest. It protects the vital organs, so that if they're shot, they don't have to really worry as much about the fact that the bullet is going to penetrate through. Same situation for the Roman soldiers that a sword or a dagger or an arrow would not have penetrated through this piece of armor and truly rendered them unable to continue in battle. That was the purpose of the Roman soldiers' breastplate. So here's the second question. What is righteousness? Because if you notice, as Paul is writing to this group of believers in Ephesus and laying out for them, this is the armor that you should be putting on as a follower of Jesus, engaged in this battle in which you find yourself in day in and day out spiritually. He says the breastplate of righteousness. Well, what is righteousness? If you want a quick definition of righteousness, here it is for you. It is behavior that is morally justifiable. I told you last week you're not supposed to use the word in the definition, but just to put the cookies on the bottom shelf for you. It is behavior that is morally right. It is doing the right thing. That is righteousness, doing what is morally right. But as we think about righteousness, we have to ask the question, well, where does righteousness originate? And the Scripture is very clear for us as we think about righteousness that first and foremost we see that as the character of God, that we serve a God who is perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, does what is right. In fact, as we look, one of the things that we'll say about God and the Scriptures are very clear is that He is a God of justice. And why is He a God of justice? Because He always does what is right. In fact, if you notice there, I've listed for you just a couple of passages of Scripture to think through this. But you can begin in the book of Genesis and walk all the way through the book of Revelation and be reminded constantly over and over and over again that our God is a righteous God. In fact, Isaiah 59 verse 17 speaks of God as He has put on righteousness as a breastplate. Ezra chapter 9, verse 15, O Lord, the God of Israel, You are just, You are righteous. So if we're going to have any conversation about righteousness at all, it has to begin with our understanding of who God is, that He is perfectly righteous, just. You know, it extends beyond just our understanding of who God is. It moves forward to our understanding of who we are as well. So when we think about righteousness, we have to recognize that God is perfectly righteous and just. He always does that which is morally right. But let's think about the nature of mankind apart from Jesus. Because one of the things that is crystal clear in Scripture as well, beginning in Genesis chapter 3 and marching our way to our very day today, is that because of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden, that every single one of us has a problem, and that problem is called sin. The problem is we are not righteous. We are not up to the standard that God says we are should be. In fact, Scripture is very clear on this. You can look throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament as well. I just grabbed a couple of passages of Scripture to remind you of this. One is Isaiah 64 verse 6 that reminds us that our righteousness, the best we can do, is filthy rags in the sight of God. And not only that, I want you to notice that Paul is going to remind us as well in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, that none is righteous. I don't know if you know this or not, but none in Greek means, guess what? None. There's not a single one who is righteous. No, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So think about this. We're reminded when we come to this idea of righteousness that we have a God who is perfectly righteous and just, and we as mankind, apart from Jesus Christ, are not. Which means it is impossible for us to have a relationship with God, our Creator, without someone dealing with the sin problem that we have, the unrighteousness that we have. Here's the good news here's the nature of the follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to use two words here. The first is the word justification. The second is the word sanctification. So in our understanding of righteousness, here's what we need to recognize and understand. For every single person who has taken the step of trusting in Jesus Christ as their Savior, what Scripture reminds us of is that we have been justified. We have been declared righteous in the eyes of God. Remember, prior to that, we were unrighteous because of our sin, but because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf, we are declared righteous if our faith is in Jesus Christ for salvation. I want to pause for just a second because you may have come in this morning, and for you, you've never taken the step of trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I want you to know that What's being described in those two previous statements is true of you right now. There is a God who is perfectly righteous and just, and you were created by that God. In fact, Scripture is clear. You were knit together in your mother's womb by that creator God. But because of sin, you are separated from God. And there's no way for you to bridge that gap and to enter into a relationship with a perfect, righteous, holy, just God by your own merit. You can't do enough good things. You can't earn your way into the favor of God. In fact, you are without hope to try to do this by yourself, Scripture reminds us. So then, what is the hope? Well, the hope is in God sending His Son, Jesus, to this earth, who lived the life that we could not live, a perfect and righteous life, who took our sin and put Himself on the cross and paid the debt that we owed, was buried, but rose again on the third day, securing salvation for us, so that, here's the connector, if you will trust in Him alone, What he's done on your behalf, your sins can be forgiven. What separates you from God can be taken care of because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. And you can enter into that relationship with a perfect, holy God because he has declared through his son Jesus that you are righteous. It is one of the most beautiful exchanges in all the world. In fact, that word justified is a banking term. So I want you to just picture this in your mind that you walk into the bank one day and they look at you and they say, I'm sorry, but your account is overdrawn. Anybody ever had that happen? You don't have to raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not telling anybody that. Your account is overdrawn. You are in debt. And if they told you as it relates to your relationship with God, in fact, you are in debt to such an amount that there's no way you could ever pay it back. And the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus, who has all the resources, looks and says, I will pay off that debt entirely. And I will transfer from my account to that person's account, my righteousness, all the riches that are available in Christ Jesus are now ours if we are followers of Jesus. We have been declared righteous before God. If you've never taken that step, there's not a better day than today to receive that free gift of salvation offered to you by Jesus Christ, life, death, and resurrection. But as we think about what's being laid out for us here, the breastplate of righteousness, it's the second term that I want us to key in on, justification, being declared righteous, positional, righteous. But here's the second term, and this is the one that Paul is keying in on here as we think about putting on the breastplate of righteousness. It's the word sanctification. It's practical righteousness. It is living out the true identity of who we are as followers of Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, Walking in obedience to the Lord in our lives. That is what Paul is highlighting here when he talks about putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Yes, our standing as a follower of Jesus before God is perfectly righteous. When God looks at us, he sees Christ's righteousness covering us. But that doesn't negate the fact That as followers of Jesus, we are called to walk in righteousness, to let our lives be lives that are marked by obedience to the Lord. And so I want us to answer this third question. Why does Paul use breastplate of righteousness in this context? Why does he look at this Roman soldier that is guarding him and as he is riding under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, why does he make this connection between the breastplate, this piece of armor, and righteousness, this understanding of how we are to live our lives as followers of Jesus? In fact, it's very clear for this reason, righteousness protects the vitality of our relationship with God. And it keeps us from being exposed during Satan's attacks. Let me try to illustrate this for you. One of the guys in our church, when uh, we were trying to put some landscape around uh, our yard, I called him because he is the landscape master, Jeff Carr. If you ever need a question answered about a plant or a tree or grass or whatever it is, Jeff knows the answer. And if he doesn't know the answer, there's not an answer, okay? So I reached out to Jeff, I said, hey, we're, we're looking at, at planting these uh, Christmas palms. And Jeff says, oh, those are very nice, but you need to understand, it's not a big deal unless we have frost. And if it gets cold enough that we have frost, it runs the chance of actually killing those Christmas palms. And so last winter, winter in Florida, right? I was looking and paying attention to what was going on with the weather, and I sent Jeff a text. I said, listen, it says it's going to get below freezing. We've got these Christmas palms. What do we do? So Jeff responds back, and he says, well, you got two options. Well, three options. Option number one, you find some type of bedsheet or something to actually cover this palm, so that it protects it when the frost comes. Or, you actually water and saturate the ground around where the root is in the tree so that it will actually insulate that if we have frost. And the third option is let go and let God, right? Just hope it works out. He said, listen, if you don't do something, you risk exposing this tree to the frost and ultimately you could very well lose the tree. And as I thought about that in relation to this, this is what we have to understand when it comes to the breastplate of righteousness. That righteousness in our lives, not positional righteousness, what we've been declared as a result of what Christ has done, but actually walking out in righteousness, walking in obedience to the Lord. If we are not doing that in our lives as believers, Paul is laying out for us that we are risking the vitality of our relationship with God. And we are exposing ourselves to the attacks of Satan in our lives. So here's the fourth question. How do we live this out? Say, Pastor, all that's good, and I believe you 100%, but how do I live it out? How do I actually do that? How do I walk in righteousness? How do I daily... Put on the breastplate of righteousness so that I can withstand the attacks of the enemy, so that I can fortify my life, so that even when the attacks come that I'm not exposed before Satan as he is attacking. First and foremost, proclaim the gospel to yourself every single day. preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself every single day of what Christ has done in your life. Remind yourself every single day that you used to be dead in your sins and you have been made alive in Christ. Remind yourself every single day that you were without hope in this world and yet Christ rescued you from being without hope and has brought you into the family of God. Because here's the thing, when you're constantly reminding yourself of what Christ has done, your desires to walk in obedience to Him will grow and grow and grow in your life. Here's the problem for most believers. We meet Jesus and then we get over it and get on with our lives. And I don't know if that's where your heart is right now, but I want to challenge you over the course of this next week to preach the gospel to yourself to remind yourself of what Christ has done for you. To remind yourself every single day when your feet hit the floor that you have been rescued from your sin. And sin, Paul says, no longer has you enslaved. But you have the opportunity day in and day out to walk in obedience to the Lord. And that your life is a living sacrifice to the Lord as you walk in obedience to him. That every single day you have the opportunity to say God, thank you for what you've done in my life and I'm going to walk in obedience to you. Preach the gospel to yourself daily. And just a little bit we'll celebrate communion together as a faith family and For us, that's one of the ways, corporately, that we have the opportunity to remind ourselves of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we partake of the bread and as we partake of the cup, we're reminded. In fact, Jesus says this, do this in remembrance of me. Remind yourself of what I've done for you in my life and in my death. My body broken for you. My blood shed for you. Don't forget what Christ has done. Not only should we proclaim the gospel to ourselves daily, but here's the second thing. We should pursue Christ's likeness through spiritual disciplines. How many of you love discipline? There's not a lot of us that do. In fact, what you have noticed, it is the end of April. If you made New Year's resolutions, you don't even remember them right now. Because discipline for us is not something that comes naturally. You have to work at it. You have to actually do something to be disciplined. And for us as followers of Jesus, if we are going to pursue likeness, it takes work on our part. Now, don't... Don't confuse this. We're not working to earn God's favor. We already have God's favor because of what Christ has done for us. But we are called to pursue Christ-likeness, that our lives, day in and day out, should look more and more like Jesus Christ every single day. And as we pursue Christ-likeness, we are pursuing righteousness. We are, in effect, putting on the breastplate of of righteousness. And so for you and for me, one of the things that we must be cognizant of as we live in this world is that we will not drift towards Christ-likeness. You may need to write that down, stamp it on your forehead. We do not drift towards Christ-likeness. It is a pursuit of our heart where we are pursuing after Christ with everything in us. And that looks like spiritual disciplines. There's a book by Donald Whitney called Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. If you've never read that, I just encourage you to read that book and to look at those disciplines of Scripture intake, of prayer, of journaling, of fasting, of silence and solitude, just disciplines that are laid out for us in God's Word that enable us to grow in our Christ-likeness. And then here's the third one. Pay attention to the fruit in your life. Pay attention to the fruit in your life. We are often really good fruit inspectors for everyone else. But we have to look at our life as we think about the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work within us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the question before us is, am I growing in those things? Am I growing in patience with my kids? I could just ask them since they're here, right? Am I growing in joy? Am I growing in self-control? Are the things that should be growing in my life actually growing as the Spirit is at work within me? You see, for us as followers of Jesus, if we are going to pursue righteousness, if we're going to pursue Christ-likeness, here's the amazing thing. There will be fruit that is evident in our lives. You'll be able to see it. And if you are questioning right now, well, maybe there's fruit, maybe there's not ask your spouse. They'll tell you. Say, no, you're not growing in patience. That's something you could grow in. Joy, you look like you sucked on a lemon today. (laughs) But for us as followers of Jesus, set before us is the opportunity to put on the breastplate of righteousness to guard and fortify our lives against Satan's attacks. I want to ask you if you'd bow your heads with me this morning, as our worship team comes up, as we spend some time in reflection before we partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, I want to give you an opportunity before the Lord to allow the Spirit to impress on your heart now the truth that you've heard this morning. Maybe the truth that you've heard reminds you that you've never taken that step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. And, and that's the step that you need to take today. Maybe you are a follower of Jesus. And as you think about your life, as we think about righteousness, clothing yourself with that to fortify against Satan's attacks, you look and realize that, Pastor, there is room for growth. There's room for me to pursue Christ-likeness. And the fruit that's evident in my life is not pointing in the direction of growth. It's it's stagnant right now. You have the opportunity before the Lord to ask for his help as you seek to pursue Christ-likeness in your life. Father, we thank you this morning for your word how it challenges us and reminds us of what you've called us as followers of Jesus to live out in this battle in which we find ourselves. And God, may for each believer in this room, we be able to put on the breastplate of righteousness day in and day out as we enter into battle may our lives look more and more like Jesus Christ every single day. We ask that in his name. Amen. I want to encourage you to stand. and We'll sing a chorus and give you an opportunity just to prepare your heart as we get ready to take communion together.